Thanks for listening to Matt McLaughlin History. Become a subscriber to receive exclusive bonus episodes, ad-free listening, early access to all episodes, and special member-only events. Click on the link in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash mmhistory. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A Living History Production. This is the Living History Podcast. Broadcasting live across the airwaves. Hello and thank you for joining me for another episode of Living History. You join me at a pretty busy time in the world of history. We've got Peter Hart's Gallipoli book, due out any day. It's the 75th anniversary of the end of the Second World War. There's just so much going on. It's a great time to be involved in history. So thank you very much for tuning in, listening to the podcast and contributing through our social media channels. Today's episode continues that theme of great moments in history, a little bit of an obscure one, different to some of the episodes we've done recently. I was at the State Library of New South Wales and while I was there, they showed me quite a remarkable collection of old photographs that had been taken in about 1900. And they were pictures of a cemetery, a cemetery that is no longer there. An old cemetery, pictures of faded headstones and these glorious inscriptions on this old colonial cemetery. And this was the Devonshire Street Cemetery, which had been closed and moved uh, very shortly after, in about 1901, to make way for the brand new Central Station. But the cemetery had been there since 1820, and some of the most important early colonists from Sydney's earliest days had been buried there. So just a remarkable coming together of several important chapters of history. The earliest days of the colony of Sydney, people who died were buried in this very old cemetery. The cemetery had since been closed, and then in 1900, someone had gone and photographed the headstones before they were lost to us forever. Just a remarkable collision of chapters of history telling a wonderful story about Sydney's earliest origins. I was shown the photos and told the story of the cemetery by curator Elise Edmonds, and it was just a fascinating couple of hours. So I hope you enjoy this journey as we explore Sydney's lost cemetery. Elise, we're sitting in front of this extraordinary collection of old photographs, old black and white photographs. Tell me what we're looking at and why they're significant. Yeah, so these are amazingly detailed photographs. They're a combination of photographic prints as well as glass negatives. And they were taken by a lady photographer in 1900 called Josephine Foster. And she, along with her husband, Arthur, decided to document this old 19th century cemetery in the middle of Sydney um, before it was to be resumed, cleared out and Central Station was to be constructed. So this couple, Mr and Mrs Foster, were just sort of regular amateur history buffs. They were really interested in their local Sydney history. And they lived nearby in Albion Street in Surrey Hills. And they really wanted to 
document what was written on these headstones in particular um, because they knew that the, the whole um, place was going to be cleared away. And they realised that that many early white settlers in Sydney, members of the first, second and third fleets, notable people in Sydney society, uh, had been buried here. So they really wanted to take detailed photographs. You can see they really focused on trying to capture individual headstones and the actual text written on them um, before these headstones would be, you know, cleared away. One thing I notice about these photos is the composition. These are not taken like dusty old, centuries-old photos that you often see that are very static. I mean, these look like modern black and white images. They, she obviously had quite an eye with a camera. Yeah, they're very crisp and particularly this is the benefit of having glass negatives that you can then digitise. You get that real clarity and crispness in the images. But also we've realised that in some of the photograph albums you can actually see her husband, Arthur, inking the, the words so that they show up better in the photographs. So they knew that what they were doing, they really wanted to get this information documented and clear for people of the future, researchers of the future, to be able to access and understand. So, yeah, there's a couple of images you can see where Arthur's crouching in the background amongst this sort of overgrown weeds in the bushes, inking the headstones, getting ready for Josephine to actually photograph them. Tell me about this cemetery, because I had no idea there was a cemetery under what is now Central Station. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realise this. When you go to Central, this frenetic, busy, crowded place that people pass through um, was actually in the 19th century, this massive, overgrown, well, it became very overgrown um, cemetery that sprawled across the Sandhills. Um, it was consecrated in 1820, so the Anglican ministers, the reverends, they all walked up um, George Street to this plot of land, which at that point in 1820 was well outside the town's boundaries. Um, there was not much else back out there. It was beyond the brick fields, the potteries, um, and they established this sort of first sort of section of this, the old cemetery, which was the Elizabeth Street sort of frontage, and that was initially the Church of England section. And then over the sort of following decade, decade and a half, other denominations established their own cemeteries in this plot. So there was actually seven separate cemeteries that made up the Devonshire Street Cemetery. So there were Roman Catholic section, there were other Protestant denominations, there was um, a Quaker section and also a Jewish section. So this, it functioned as Sydney's main cemetery through to the 1860s um, when it was officially closed because it was getting far too overcrowded. And what started out as a very ordered, planned, you know, cemetery became very quickly overcrowded and so there's all sorts of accounts when the workmen began resuming the cemetery and clearing it in 1900, 1901, that there were, you know, coffins found literally on top of each other, buried under paths, um, the morgue building that was built later on, that was built over remains. So it was, it became a very chaotic um, confused um, cemetery that really um, people in the area were concerned about their health, um, the results of, you know, awful, awful sounding sort of miasmas and, and trickles that were being found <laughs> coming out of the cemetery. So it was a real concern. The health officials of the, the city were really concerned um, about the state of the cemetery. So there were a lot of government inquiries over the decades and finally the government agrees to formally close the cemetery in the 1860s 
and then it kind of becomes even more overgrown, semi-abandoned. Um, there were very nefarious things happening in the evenings, as you can imagine, at that end of town. It was an insalubrious part of town. So it was really um, remained like that until the government finally decided that they were going to build a new central station in that area, um, that it was finally cleared in 1901. You say this word cleared. Now, as that applies to a cemetery, does that mean they simply took the headstones away? Did they remove the bodies? And how thorough a job did they do? Yes, so they, they certainly they resumed the entire cemetery, which means they, they were very thorough in their... Well, they tried to be thorough in their record-keeping. We have photographs that Josephine took of cemeteries, um, the headstones that are numbered. So we got very excited when we saw some examples of these numbers that are kind of spray-painted on the headstones, which means that they're keeping a record of the headstone and then the remains that were related to that headstone so yes everything was was collected they tried they attempted to get everything and everything was um, the remains were placed into new wooden coffins along with the headstones um, and a tram track was actually laid through the cemetery and we also Josephine and Arthur took photographs documented the train the tram as well you can see um, in these images the, the tram lines and the tram sort of moving through the cemetery um, with remains and they were moved out to Botany Cemetery which was a new public cemetery that had been established and so the majority of remains were moved with their headstones to Botany um, but descendants, family members were allowed to claim remains and there was around 8,000 or so family members came forward um, to claim their relatives' remains and the headstones, and relatives were able to decide to determine which other cemetery those remains were moved to. So there were remains moved to Waverley, um, to the new Rookwood Cemetery, to many cemeteries throughout Sydney um, took remains, but the vast majority uh, went to Botany. And you said the cemetery started in 1820. I mean, that's less than 35 years after the colony was even formed. There must be some absolutely extraordinary people who were buried in here originally. What are some of the some of the known stories of people who originally were buried in this cemetery? Yeah, so some of the earliest um, headstones actually were moved already. So the, the first burial ground uh, it was in, the formal burial ground was on George Street, which is now where the town hall is. So the, the first um, cemetery was there and there were even some remains and headstones moved from that old burial ground up to the new one, uh, which is the Devonshire Street Cemetery. And that included, um, obviously, people from the early colony um, and included uh, John Lewin, who was um, a noted colonial painter and artist. Um, his remains were moved from the old burial ground up to Devonshire Street. Um, but there were certainly some names that we would recognise today who were buried in the Devonshire Street Cemetery, um, including Mary Reby, um, the noted uh, convict who really made good and became a very successful businesswoman um, and who's now on the $20 note. And it, we understand that it was when the Fosters, Mr and Mrs Foster, were standing next to Mary Reby's grave that they realised that it was really important to document uh, this cemetery and that's sort of what got them going um, uh, to to record the, the names and the headstones. So Mary Reby was one. Um, the merchant David Jones and his family were buried there. Um, the original um, Fairfax, from, we know the famous Fairfax Media Empire, the Fairfaxes were all buried... Um, 
in a family vault. Um, there were many um, convicts, many um, uh, convicts such as um, James Squire, um, who we recognise as being a successful um, hops grower, who founded the first brewery uh, in Sydney, which I think is still going um, with his name linked to it. And also Simeon Lord, again, many convicts who um, became very successful, emancipists and successful business people, um, are, were buried in the Devonshire Street Cemetery. And there's also this amazing photograph which documents a queen, uh, Queen Cora Gooseberry, and she was actually um, an, a Sydney elder um, from the Sydney region, Cora Gooseberry, and uh, a noted sort of identity who would come and go um, through Sydney. Um, and she uh, died, um, a, a, an old woman in her 70s, and her friends um, who happened to be... Um, she she lived in, a, uh, in the back of a, a boarding house, a pub, and when she died there and, and the owner of that boarding house... Um, got together and, and paid for a, a very nice um, headstone. And interestingly, she was buried in the Presbyterian section, um, which is interesting to think about. But, uh, yeah, it w- she's other, another significant Sydney person buried in the Devonshire Street Cemetery. I'm just noting the incredible stories on some of these headstones and these photos. There's a whole a whole life description about people murdered by their offsiders and just it's it's incredible just the range of tales that are told on these headstones oh yeah this story is the gift that keeps on giving because you just read the language that's um the language on the headstone so this is sort of real 19th century language that we just don't write on headstones anymore um it not it really gives you a very succinct biography of that person um, how much they were loved by their community or recognised as being, you know, well-respected or um, a great loss to the community. Um, sometimes they are very blunt in their descriptions. There is one... Um, there's one um, headstone that's for a um, William Oliver who was killed by a bullock cart aged 34, and that's what it says on his headstone. Um, there's other headstones that talk about um, a couple, an, an older couple, who were tragically um, murdered by their servant, um, and the details of that are on their headstone. Um, there's amazing headstones um, for two young men in their 30s who were troopers and who were who perished in a bushfire south of Sydney, which is very pertinent still to us today. Um, there's amazingly tragic headstones. Of course, many babies and children died. There were so many epidemics um, that would travel through 19th century Sydney, which would kill um, young children um, particularly. So often you would see a, a long headstone, a, a large headstone with long, huge amounts of writing where you've got many children, brothers and sisters who die, you know, every couple of years. And then finally, you know, there'll be also a, a family, a, a parent added to that headstone. Um, and the way that that is, the, the way that I guess children's deaths are recorded um, is so very beautiful um, and, of course, tragic. So there's one beautiful line about Harriet Mary Sheba who breathed her last and she was only a little three-year-old. So the language on the headstones really sparked my imagination and it really, I think, gives you a fantastic window into what it was like living in 19th century Sydney. Um, it was pretty tough and brutal um, and, you know, many people died young from terrible accidents or from um, disease. 
What has it meant to you, Elise, working on this exhibition, on these wonderful photographs and learning more about the story of this lost cemetery? Yeah, I think um, I'm... Look, I think if you're fascinated by the layers of history in Sydney, you know... Living in Sydney these days, you can see changes happening on a massive scale. There's buildings being pulled down and massive buildings being rebuilt. We've got a huge transport network currently being constructed. Um, and when you sort of go back 100 years, Sydney was still having these big conversations about infrastructure and increases in population and we have to have a, a good transport network that will support greater populations. That was the conversation they were having 100 years ago and they were also having this debate about Sydney's heritage and, you know, whether or not, you know, what can we keep from old Sydney? That's what they were talking about in, in 1901. So I suppose these images I find fascinating because not only do they document a, a past Sydney, a 19th century Sydney and an insight into the lives that people lived... But they also show you a bit of the topography of the land. In parts of the cemetery, it was incredibly steep. Um, there were still remnants of the sand from the original sand hills you can see in many of the, um, the pictures. You can see these massive trees as well in the landscape. And then in some of them, you can see um, long-gone factories and in- industrial sites um, and, and the buildings and terraces that kind of surrounded the cemetery. So... It, these photographs not only, yeah, document the individuals who are buried there, but it also gives you a little glimpse into what Sydney looked like, um, which is now all gone, because at that, when Central was constructed in the early 20th century, they, of course, excavated the huge sand hills that were there and um, to build the foundations of Central Station. Are there any parts of the cemetery that can be seen today? Look, you can actually go out to Botany, the Botany Cemetery at Bunurong, um, heading out to La Perouse. Um, there's a very small remnant of the headstones that were um, that have survived, um, and you uh, you can go out and see these massive sandstone headstones. They're they're taller than they're about as my height, so they're um, and and they're very impressive, but. The wording is is definitely faded, some to nothing. So, of course, the headstones were um, moved out there in 1901. So they've basically withstood a hundred years, over a hundred years of um, air pollution and wind and so forth. Um, and so you really can't read many of them now. So thankfully, you know, the Fosters, when they documented these, um, we st- we have these words which now really have faded to nothing at Botany. Well, Elise, it's just an extraordinary story, one I didn't know much about at all. And um, the the State Library here in Sydney has a, a wonderful exhibition talking all about the cemetery, which people can come down and see. But just thank you so much for sharing this wonderful story. Thanks. Thanks. It's great to talk about it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for the podcast and visit livinghistorytv.com for more great history content. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.